0: Hello and welcome to the multipod and our bonus episode part 2. My name is Vanessa and I'm your host through this bonus episode experience. So in the puttyverse, we like to do projects together and one of those projects that has repeated over the years is putty comps. Putty comps equals putty plus compilation and it's pretty much exactly as it sounds. Basically, we choose a medium and over the course of a month or so, whoever wants to can submit a work in that medium. It's an opportunity to try something new if you've never worked in this medium before or continue with something you enjoy. So Putty Comps number six was our audio extravaganza organized by me. We discussed as a group what we'd like to do, and some members came up with some amazing questions to guide us in our recordings. What resulted are fun audio experiments. Some are whimsical, some are serious, some are reflections on being a multi-potentialite by the contributors themselves, some are stories, some are goofy. It's just a smorgasbord of amazingness. So let's dive right in, no pun intended, because you're going to be hearing about jellyfish. Never mind, let's just get the show on the road. (laughs) First, we hear from Grace. You'll hear her answer the following questions. What are your thoughts on jellyfish? What's a memory you have when you changed your mind about something? When were you brave? And do you prefer pudding or jello and why? You'll hear Grace's amazing answers and some very interesting musings about jellyfish, sexuality, mental health, and jello shots. Also, just a quick disclaimer – This one has some swear words, so if there are little ears around, or if you are at work not using your headphones, you might want to put those in. Enjoy!
1: Hi everyone, this is Grace Barrett Snyder. I am very excited to participate in this year's Putty Comps, and I will be answering four of the questions today. So I will start with what are your thoughts on jellyfish? Then, what's a memory you have where you changed your mind about something? Third, when is a time you were brave? And lastly, do you prefer pudding or Jello, and why? So let's jump right in. What are your thoughts on jellyfish? Jellyfish make me very envious. I would say jealous, but that sounds like a pun. So we're not going to say that. But there is a specific type of jellyfish that is the only known animal species to be immortal. And I came across this fact because one day I was just googling animals with the longest lifespan. I don't remember why at this point. But yeah, lastly on the list were these jellyfish, and again, a specific type, is immortal. And I just thought, why them? Why do jellyfish get this ability? Because death used to be my number one fear, something I thought about on a daily basis. So the fact that jellyfish just get to live immortal? Why? (laughs) That makes me so upset. So, And I know, apparently, scientists are now using them for stem cell research to figure out, oh, can this be applied to humans? But I don't know. So the way it works, from what I understand is that these jellyfish, they don't have to live forever. And it's not like the secret is living one long life. It's that when they experience enough stress or damage, they basically blip back to an earlier stage in their development and become an infant all over again. And they can do this as many times as they need to, I guess, to survive. And many of these jellyfish don't necessarily. They can just get eaten or die. So... They at least get a choice, which I think I'm also, (laughs) also makes me envious. So yeah, it got me thinking, what would that be like if humans had that ability? You know, because I get stressed out all the time. So if I just get so stressed out that I blip back to a baby, how does that change? And it's interesting because the research found that these jellyfish, when they redevelop, are genetically identical to the original jellyfish. So, yes, I would be genetically identical, but how much of me would change if that were to happen? You know, my parents wouldn't necessarily be the ones that raised me from birth anymore. I'd have different life circumstances. So it's interesting to think about, you know, what parts of myself will be the same and what parts wouldn't. So I wouldn't necessarily have the same scarring experiences, but I would like to think that I'd still be sarcastic and creative and curious but yeah it's weird it's weird to think about and I do feel like some of us might trigger that by accident or you know we live a nice long life we're about to get married and really stressed out about whatever partner we find and whoop, back to a baby can't get married anymore so I wonder if memory carries over you know do we even remember what we were stressed about I don't know it's both A kind of situation that gets overwhelming and really sparks my curiosity at the same time. Do you ever feel that? Anyway, next question. What's a memory you have where you changed your mind about something? And this isn't a specific memory. I'm more going to lay out an evolution of thoughts concerning this. And some parts of it have memories, other ones don't. So I want to show, I want to sort of highlight my progression for how I've thought about bisexuality. So I think I believed it was real from the start, that I understood some people could be attracted to more than just one gender. And I think I also acknowledged that this was more acceptable in women than men. But still, even from that start, I believed, oh, well, these people have to pick eventually. You know, you settle Either one or the other, and at this point, I was still believing in the gender binary, so that's why I'm sort of using that language. And then I realized later on that I was like, "Oh well, that's very pro monogamy, pro marriage." And even once you do decide on like that partner, that doesn't mean attraction to other people goes away, you know. And I understand that with bisexuality, you can be attracted to one gender over another. And even if you end up marrying someone of one gender, doesn't mean that was your favorite necessarily. It can be about the person. So there's that. And then after that, I sort of believed there was some level of dishonesty, which was not a good way of looking at it. So there was a woman I met in college, and I went to Smith College, where it's all girls. I had a friend who was saying, she was talking about how she had an ex-boyfriend. And of course, in my head, immediately, I'm like, okay, she's straight, (laughs) right? Like my head jumps straight to that conclusion. And I guess that's the default anyway. But I felt like, oh, I had reason to believe she was straight. And then later on in the year, she ends up going on to date this other girl in our house. And I remember feeling... Really strange about that. I felt like I was lied to. And that was very, again, it feels so dumb now. It's almost a little cringy where it's like, why didn't you tell me this? But it's like straight people don't need to come out, you know? And even now, it feels like sometimes the first disclosure forms the default and you sort of ignore those initial impressions once you get new information. Sexuality is so complicated where maybe someone does identify as straight and then later on that changes. And I don't think someone should be obligated to give you a status update every time they use a new label. So sometimes it's just about being flexible and not jumping to conclusions about who someone is attracted to. Then later on, towards the end of college, I remember thinking, oh, bisexuality is really beautiful. You care about the person, and not necessarily their body or their genitals or anything, which is a healthier notion. But that's not necessarily true either, because you can be attracted to different genders in different ways and to different degrees and not the same time. And that doesn't mean bisexuality is necessarily detached from bodies or genitals entirely. And of course, there is the debate then about the difference between pansexuality and bisexuality, which I will not get into. But if you are interested in that, there's an article on Bustle.com titled Why the debate around the difference between bisexual and pansexual hurts the LGBTQ community, which I highly recommend. So I will not necessarily get into that now. There's also people that don't necessarily take bisexuality seriously tend to interpret it as, oh, you're attracted to everybody. You're going to cheat on me with all these people, all these other options. And that's not true. It doesn't mean they're attracted to all people. And it doesn't mean they're only attracted to personalities, too. You can still be drawn to specific physical features. And then lastly, and this final stage of evolution happened in the last two years. And I was like, shit, I am Bisexual. <laughs> Oh, my God. So that was quite a journey. Anyway, I hope you enjoyed that. I, again, it went through many different stages and weren't necessarily tied to specific memories. But I got there. And again, there's a whole debate there and a lot more to discuss. But hopefully you get the idea. That doesn't mean it's over either. These ideas can change and evolve over time and become healthier, especially as the world changes. And as the world gets new language, Okay, so the third question, when is a time you are brave? I'd like to separate two things, because there are many times where people call me brave, even when I don't consider myself brave. And in a way that bothers me, not in necessarily a sign that I lack self-esteem or anything. And this usually comes up about mental health stuff. So I love public speaking, and I've been very open about my bipolar diagnosis and I've spoken at conferences about times I've taken a medical leave, you know, an in depth history to my background and experience with suicidality. And people will come up to me afterwards and be like, wow, you were so brave. And I don't like that. I don't consider myself brave. And I understand some people may feel empowered or courageous or be scared of talking about that stuff. And you know, for good reason. But I'm not one of those people I've been open about my mental health for a long time. I was diagnosed when I was a little kid. So this has been a life of this. And this is, I don't consider being brave. So when people say that, to some degree, it does sort of impose the idea I'm like, oh, should I have felt shame about this? And, you know, by talking about it, I'm being brave, because I don't consider that to be about me. And I think that's the key, right? Where I sort of realized, oh, them saying that is more about them and not me. You know, where they think it's very inspiring or courageous because they can't see themselves doing that, at least at that point in time when they're telling me that. And so, unable to separate myself a little bit from it, I'm able to accept the compliment. It's still hard for me to call it a compliment. But I think there is a difference between when someone calls you brave and when you feel like you're being brave. When it comes to a time I believe I was or am brave is right now I'm in the middle of writing a memoir. And the memoir is about my mental health experience. And that's very strange because I have been, again, very open about my diagnosis and my experience. And yet writing this book feels so different and raw and vulnerable where even though it covers a lot of the same thing, there's something about writing that feels scarier than speaking it. And I think that comes down to a couple different things. On the one hand, I'm sitting alone, writing on a laptop, pouring my soul into these things, into the words I'm putting on the page. And it's almost like I'm writing in a diary. You know, right now I'm writing for myself. And of course, that changes over various drafts, but for the most part, it's me alone typing how I feel and what I think. And that's very different from public speaking, I guess. I think I put more vulnerability into it, even though during my public speaking, I don't feel like I'm holding much back either. And the other thing is I'm not present with my audience. You know, one day this will be published, people will have this book in their hands, and I won't see their reaction meaning it might be easier for them to judge me, right? And that's scary, sort of the unknown reaction. Meanwhile, when you're giving a presentation, you see people's reactions. And for the most part, people are in the audience because they want to be. So you have the odds sort of stacked in your favor in that way. So in this case, I would agree with people if they were to call me brave. And it's not even published yet. But right now, even me making the effort and going forward with the commitment that I want to publish this is scary. So it's interesting how the word brave can sort of shift even when we're talking about the same subject matter. And lastly, do you prefer pudding or jello and why? So when I first read this question, I actually misinterpreted it as, would you prefer to be pudding or jello? So that's the question I'm going to answer. And I firmly declare that I would rather be pudding. Because I do not want to be consumed as a jello shot by all these adolescents over spring break. No, thank you. You know, call me sweet. I can be pudding. Don't put any fucking rice in me, all right? That's stuff is gross. But yeah, either way, pudding, not jello. Anyway, thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed these. Take care.
0: Next up, it's Joel. He's covering Changing Your Mind, Bravery, the epic story of how he found the Puttyverse, non negotiables. And bringing people together.
2: Oh, Putty Comps number six, How I Love You, an audio theme? Yeah, let us do this. Hey, everybody, it's Joel Zeslowski, and I'm going to answer a few questions for this awesome Putty Comps. First up, what's a memory you have where you changed your mind about something? Whew, goodness, where to start? The one that pops into my mind first is uh, listening to a neurosurgeon, a guy named Dr. Jack Cruz, being interviewed on a podcast in early 2018 and having my mind absolutely blown that something other than food, exercise, or sleep was the most important thing, not just to my health, but to the health of every living creature in the history of the world. Yes, going back billions of years. Spoiler alert, those more important things for your health and the health of any eukaryotic cell, which is basically all life in this world, except for, uh, you know, some simple life, your light environment, AKA the sun and how much artificial light you have, water and magnetism. I just, I didn't think that I'd ever break the paradigm of food, exercise, and sleep. And I listened to this guy. And I was like, "What is he talking about? There's some deep science here." And as I start to unravel and unpack and and get deeper down the quantum biology rabbit hole, I realized, yeah, I need to change my mind about what I'm trying to optimize when it comes to my health. And that's when I decided light, water, and magnetism were the most important things to me. Okay, next up, when is a time you are brave? Well, I remember about 15 years ago, uh, I'm 41 years old now. This was when I was about 25 years old, and I sat down in my parents' house, the house that I grew up, on the couch that I used to watch TV on, and I sat down with my dad, and I told him we were going to have a serious conversation. And I told him, Dad, I'm not Jewish anymore, which that statement totally rocked him. You have to understand, I grew up very Jewish, and by that I mean the grade school, kindergarten through sixth grade. I went to a Jewish grade school where my second language was Hebrew. Uh, My bar mitzvah at the synagogue, I basically led the services for almost two hours. Uh, We were a very religious Jewish family growing up, and for me to tell my dad that, from his perspective, I was forsaking Judaism, and perhaps the most important thing that he instilled in me was incredibly hard, and I needed a giant courage cap <laughs> in order to just have that conversation, uh, let alone react with compassion to my dad, who was just devastated. And I knew he would be, but I knew he needed to hear that uh, it's not like I was trading in Judaism for something else. I just I told him, I'm an atheist, Dad. I can't, I can't be a part of any organized religion when I don't believe in God or the existence of God's. Still hard, as you can tell, just thinking about it. Uh, Fortunately, my dad and I still love each other very much. I still go over to my parents' house for Jewish holidays like Passover and Hanukkah. Uh, I'm just not Jewish anymore. And it took a rather large act of bravery to declare that to my dad. Okay, two more to go. How did you find out you were a multi-potentialite? How did it change your life? Now, this one I remember very clearly. It was 2011. I was on the internet. It was awesome. All of a sudden, I clicked a link to a website called Putty Like. Putty Like. Perhaps you've heard of it. Putty Peep. And I saw this term, multi-potentialite. Someone with a diversity of interests, passions, and creative outlets. Full stop. Uh, that's me. Okay. Okay. I want more. I read through Emily's putty-like archives in two days, which was uh, a bit easier to do a decade ago than it is now with all the great stuff she's published. How did it change my life? <laughs> like, in every way possible, Uh multi-potentiality became a core part of my identity almost right away. Just looking back on my life, it allowed me to explain why I couldn't pick a college major and I didn't want to. Uh, why I never had a career path and didn't want to have one in my decade plus in corporate America, why I was so easily fascinated with, you know, pretty much everything. (sighs) Being a multi-potentialite and embracing the identity as a multi-potentialite just helped me gain the confidence to quit my rather comfortable corporate job and take an entrepreneurial route. And it brought me into the orbit of the Puttyverse when it first started back in April 2012, more than nine years ago as I record this. Uh, Multipotentiality brought me and Emily together at an event in Portland, Oregon in 2013 called the World Domination Summit, which is where we solidified our friendship. It brought me a whole bunch of other friends through my time in the Puttyverse, <laughs> it brought me the role as the Puttyverse billing and membership support guy in 2013, and then the connections and operations guy for the Puttyverse in 2016. Uh, multi potentiality and being a multi potentialite—it's responsible for my main line of work for the past five plus years as the connections and operations guy. <sighs> you know. And just purely from a personal perspective, it's helped me help others discover that they are multi-potentialites too, or scanners, or generalists, or renaissance souls, or polymaths. I mean, whatever you want to call it, it's all good with me. But helping people understand that there's this concept of multi-potentiality and showing them some of the possibilities of what they could do with that newfound knowledge, mm, just incredible. All right, moving on to the last question. What does being a multi-potentialite mean to you? Oh boy, save the big one for last. Well, at the simplest level, uh, being a multi-potentialite means having the mental and calendar space to practice all my non-negotiables. Um, hat tip to Christopher Carter at This Epic Life for the concept uh, and. Non-negotiables, they're these sacred life ingredients that you cannot, will not refuse to subtract from your life. And being a multi-potentialite means that I can do all five. I don't have to choose one or two or three. Uh, In case you're curious, uh, my five non-negotiables that being a multi-potentialite allows me to do are habitual connection. Those are maybe scheduled one-on-one conversations. Unscheduled conversations with neighbors are bringing people together. That's my overarching theme as a multipod, bringing people together. Another one is ritual reflection that can take the form of daily meditation, uh, meals, work breaks without some kind of external stimuli like a smartphone or something else to look at or think through. Just going slow enough through life to think, pause, and assess. Sun worship. I literally worship the sun. It's the primary source of my energy, true from a biological perspective, and all life on Earth. Verbal impact. That's adding value with my voice, whether it's through facilitating group conversations, recording a submission for Putty Comp's number six, yeah, or something else. And then finally, experimenting. Oh, such a core part of being a multi-potentialite, experimenting, just always trying new things, embracing uncertainty, and taking uh, risks, large and small. That is what being a multi-potentialite means to me, the ability to fulfill every day my non-negotiables.
0: Laura contributed our next soundbite. She invites us in for a coffee and a chat, complete with sound effects. Make sure to listen to the end for a spontaneous trip to the Canary Islands.
3: Oh, hey. Hi. I'm so, so glad to see you here. Come on, come on. Sit next to me. I've got quite a lot of things to share with you, and... Um, we're going to go on a little of an unconventional journey. After all, I'm a multi-potentialite and I love to travel, and when we cannot do it physically, well, we can do it with our minds, books, sounds, memories, conversations, you name it. So now, imagine. For now, you and I, we are in our first destination, in my room in Amsterdam. Although the accent that you're listening to is from the Canary Islands in Spain. So you're here with this Canary Island girl, You're having a cup of coffee, tea, or whatever floats your beverage boat, um, Mary for Leo Dixit, and we're going to explore a few questions while traveling with our minds. Because seriously, I think the questions that we ask ourselves shape tremendously our experience in this world, and even the relationships that we have. And my beloved Prettyverse, amazing community of multipotentialites, wink, wink, have proposed to us a few fun and or deep questions to play with. So I'm going to play along with that, and I hope you have fun with it too. So I'd like to ask you, and then myself, the first question, what's one time, ideally in the past year, when you were brave? And it can be something big or small, something you've been brave to do, brave to say, brave to admit, brave to try. And I think there's also outstanding bravery in being brave to sit with something and in being brave to just be. Feel free to answer these questions or not, if you want, uh, later on. And for now, let me tell you a tiny part of my story. Intro of the movie. Um... You know, you can imagine all the effects like, and sorry, I don't think I will have time to look for all the sound effects that I want to add. So just imagine this lion roar and amazing movie intro. But before telling you a little bit of my story, let me pour some tea into your cup in this room in Amsterdam, overlooking a canal. I've just finished my tea, so I have my warm voice to tell you a tiny part of my story. (sighs) So, I've struggled with perfectionism and the fear of making mistakes for a long time, especially when it comes to spontaneous self-expression and spontaneous creation. And, oh, especially when I publish that something publicly. Because that means that it's publishing something that is going to be out there for the eons of time shooting but a tiny part of where I was in a specific second. Cut to my mind. What if I was nervous that time at the time and I did not explain things well? What if I get misinterpreted? What if I miss out on an important nuance? What if I offend somebody without realizing? Um Or learn something new, I change my mind and then contradict myself later on. I know we're allowed to make mistakes and evolve and change our minds, but the version of me that is going to hit that publish button does not seem to know that. Um, You get the trail. It's a little bit exhausting. Um, And there's a lot of stories I could tell you about this topic and about the social anxiety I had when I was a teenager, the constant fear of not knowing what to say or not remembering a word or how much it hurt every time I had so much to say, but I remained silent. And I've overcome most of that with time, and it certainly made me stronger and a more interesting and and empathetic human being. And probably you've also had challenges that have made you stronger and wiser and and kinder with time. But I noticed a pattern uh, that I want to share with you. For me, it's much easier to put myself out there if I had time to rehearse something until I felt I had mastery to present it. If I could polish what I write until I was sure that that thing was really me and there was little possibility for it to be misinterpreted or to offend somebody. But if I was in a new group and I did not feel especially confident that day and somebody would ask me a question to replace spontaneously, I would freeze or really play it very safe. And I wouldn't understand why I knew there were a lot of things within me wanting to be out there, but I could not get them out. I played safe when I was so eager to be playful and express myself. So for me, spontaneity in highlights, it was that thing that I aspired to have and be at this price at the top of the mountain. And have you ever had a type of moment or big experience in your life that you were like, yeah. That's me. You know, uh, the thing is, I had tasted the sweet fruits of spontaneity from time to time when I would take my guitar and spontaneously create stories and rhymes, when I would improvise in the morning or even sometimes when I jammed with friends when I was comfortable with. And it was nothing short of magical. It was like, they were big experiences for me and I felt like this is me. Yet they were more the exception than the rule because um, many times I did not give myself permission to be to iterate I did not dare to show myself in my process only when I had a polished enough idea or product and so many times I will leave a meeting a in a moment without sharing my voice and many times I don't share what I create because I'm terrified to share something that is not well thought out or polished enough um, and I will get to when I was brave on, on a second. I know that we have that, that question hanging on, but hang on with me here. Um, I told you I was also terrified to make mistakes during the spontaneous creation process. And um, I had this idea, this belief that creators, artists, people who are changing the world both expressed and created completely new things spontaneously. And then I realized that many people say almost the exact thing, same thing in their events, in their interviews, in the book they write. So whew, that, that was really a relief. That was a relief. Damn. And um, the turning point last year uh, was when I listened to Scott Barry Kaufman. He's one of my favorite psychologists of all time. And he was saying that many masterpieces like the Guernica, uh, Picasso's Guernica. I don't know how you pronounce that in English. Probably Guernica. I don't know. You tell me. Uh, Scott Barry Kaufman was saying that the process of the creation of many masterpieces, like this one, was not linear. It was not like the second draft was better than the first draft and so on. It was more of a roller coaster with valleys and peaks. And he would discard, like Picasso would discard some ideas from the final drafts and then get some some ideas from the first drafts and backtrack uh, many times so. It was as if you was both creating with intention as well as discovering at the same time and being surprised by the creative process. And it occurred to me that we have to give ourselves the grace to just jump in and create and learn from every step of the journey and from the inevitable mistakes that we're going to make and to trust the process that if you keep going and doing things spontaneously, you will get there. You will get there. And we can apply that to creativity, to learning, to life in general, that's what I think. And so, this idea or this image gave me a gift. It gave me the freedom of the iterative process. So, to answer your question, um, one of the things that I'm most proud of uh, from the things that I did in 2020 is when I was brave to decide to express myself spontaneously and create something spontaneously every single day last year up until now until today so every single day i either write stories in a stream of consciousness i compose poems improvise raps even if i make a lot of mistakes even if i don't feel confident that day to do that i still do it I create songs, videos, haikus, workshops, uh fan sketches. I would go around and there to say spontaneous fun or playful comments about everyday life, um, like a stand-up comedy people. I was laughing out loud with my own jokes. I surprised myself how playful I can be and how inventive when I don't put myself when I when I get out of my own way. So I also dare to do things more spontaneously in online events. And many times now, if I remain silent, uh, it's because I'm listening and enjoying. And it's not because I'm sad or frustrated that I'm not sharing something that I want to share. Um, And uh, for the first time, all these things that I had inside, all these creative ideas that I had not dared to put out there, and even I had not dared to put out there for myself, I started to express them. So I created podcast seasons, podcast episodes, multimedia journeys with music, poems, photos, educational content that I created, even if the first draft was horrible. Uh, But I also had so many great ideas pop up because I was not treading on (laughs) eggshells. So so many great ideas because I was not treading on eggshells. Now, the problem is that I have such a plethora of podcast episodes and seasons and ideas and poems and stories and content that I want to put out there that, you now the issues, how to, uh, revisit all them and, um, and get them into a coherent whole to, to publish. Um, but yeah, I express myself and, and I feel that that is one of the bravest things I've ever done because for the first time I will just open the recorder in my mobile and start to talk freely for the first time. I feel like I was really being myself because I was not censoring myself for fear of making mistakes. I was allowing myself to see myself in the process of that day, not judging that Laura at that specific time and space, just allowing me to flow. And it's been kind of like a reclaiming of my own voice. Um, And it was not only fun and I was discovering myself and I was not attaching myself uh, to an outcome. I was being playful. I had more clarity, even... Um if I had problems when when I would r- write uh or a stream of consciousness a stream of consciousness or I would create a poem I would realize uh, a solution or I would realize what is important to me or how I want to contribute to the world and it's been so good for my mental health like this is now one of my cornerstones cornerstones of my well-being strategy which is uh expressing myself spontaneously every day um the best part is that I'm enjoying myself more deeply. And, you know, all these things that I just share with you, I've already touched upon on uh, podcast season that I have already recorded spontaneously in Spanish. But yeah, of course, because it's not well-published, polished enough, um, only my cousins have listened to it. But I'm fine with that because I know that um, even if I had not put out there what I did last year yet, Probably I'm better at doing this audio and at daring to share this unpolished, quote unquote, because I have been practicing these ideas and I've been practicing being vulnerable. And I will probably be so much better in one year because I'm daring to share this for people to listen. Uh, I will learn so much and um, I'm terrified because I haven't focused so much on my enunciation and I, I know that I could make it better, but... And I hope I don't have a huge shame hangover after this goes out, but um I feel very brave. This is probably uh, me being really brave sharing this with you. I'm so grateful for you and I'm so grateful for Vanessa and for Joel and for the cutieverse um to give me this opportunity to, to do this. And well, last year it was about self expression. This year is about showing Show yourself, you know, like um, you can think of Elsa building out that song uh, in Frozen Two. So it's about showing myself and my ideas, even if they're not perfect enough, uh, because I think I will learn faster, and hopefully, I could also impact positively and inspire people this way. Um, So this is me sharing with you that I'm going to start to share more spontaneously. And okay, okay, full disclosure. I took this text quite a lot and I did a few recordings. This is not the first one, Um, but it's much less uh, than I would have done in the past. Um, And, you know, I'm preparing stuff and I have a whole plethora of of ideas for podcast seasons and intros and conceptual albums and educational content uh, that I want to share with you and with the world little by little. my pace. Um, So I'm coming. I'm going to take a slow bamboo growth. I'm weathering the seed of a bamboo and then suddenly one day, BAM! uh, But I'm coming. So thank you so much for being part of the journey. And now that we're talking about the journey, I had this grand vision for this for the next part of the audio, but I decided that this part is gonna be quite spontaneous. I'm going to show you, not my best plan ever, but a uh, kind of poem that I created spontaneously when answering another question so I'm going to bring you to the Canary Islands for a stroll on a spontaneous poem I wrote answering the question what does it mean to be a multipotentialite? so see you in the Canary Islands thank you for being there Sorry, I got a little bit of uh, sea water in me. Uh, Okay, (laughs) so now let's get a little bit more serious. (sighs) Let's ask the question Um, What does it mean to be a multipotentialite for you? Um, It's like being a drop of water in the ocean that understands how unique and connected part of something bigger, it is, we are at once. And it doesn't attach its value to being part of a wave floating in the middle of the ocean or caressing the face of a majestic blue whale. It rejoices when it turns to clouds and flies. It rejoices when it becomes rain. It's enjoying every step of the way. And it is understanding that everyone is more than they seem. Incredible stories to unveil below their prejudice, to discover with curiosity. It's flowing into new possibilities. It's showing new ways. It's understanding that living one life is enough when you realize you can live many lives in one. When you reinvent yourself and grow many times in one lifetime, growing branches that reach out to the other trees and, and to the sky. It's, it's understanding that life is worth living and in beautiful ripples it lasts when you can touch and impact for the better many people and lives in your life. Hello, hello, hello. So, now, this is our final destination, destinations, and it's because this part is a kind of choose-your-own-adventure situation. Um, You can choose between going to Toronto or to Melbourne, and uh, we're going to go to the studio, in this case virtual studio, of Michelle McQuaid to experience the lightning Route which is the amazing last part of the podcast episodes by my dear Michelle McQuaid. I say dear, although we have probably just changed a few social media uh, comments, but uh, we're not exactly friends in the sense of the world. But for me, she's like my virtual mentor and yeah, like a friend because um, I've learned so much from her through her podcast on on positive psychology. So she's got a, a great impact in my life. Uh, but yeah, at the end of the podcast, she always asks a few quick questions to her guests. And I'm going to do exactly that. Let me. Uh, no, uh, I, I was going to put myself <laughs> in the zone, but first I need to look for the questions. So let me take a look at the questions that the photographers proposed. Uh, okay, and now, yeah, let me put myself in the actor's position. I have to be both whew, actress and conductor. So, okay. So, Laura, I've got to ask you, are you ready for the lightning round? Yes. So, I'm curious, Laura, what are your thoughts on jellyfish? Uh Aha, yes, 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 yes. So, in the training video um, for this uh, audio extravaganza, Vanessa shared the sign language of uh, sign for jellyfish. And it's so freaking cool. You need to, to learn how to do that. And, um, my thought is I would love to discover and to do a dance move that is as smooth and as awesome as that sign language sign. Yes. Next. Um, do you prefer pudding or jello? And why? Um, okay. Uh, I don't eat these kind of things. I think it would be much funnier to jump on jello. Uh, because I think it will bounce, uh, we will bounce off that more. Uh, so yeah, I prefer jello. Um, what's a memory you have where you change your mind about something and how did you find out you were a multipotentialite? How did it change your life? Yes, 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 yes. Uh, so um, I remember that for a long time, I, I felt uh, as if I was quote-unquote broken or weird because I had many different interests that were seemingly not related, and I had a lot of uh, self-consciousness issues about it, until <laughs> I read the book by Emily Wapnick, How to Be Everything, and I realized that being a multipotentialite, it's actually my superpower, and it's been really empowering to change my mind about that, and understanding um, and embracing with pride that I'm a multipotentialite. Now, I know that the combinations of all different parts of me, all my experiences, all my interests, is actually my competitive advantage to touch people's life in a unique way. Um, so, yeah, now I'm determined to align everything that I am or the, most of the things that I am uh, and hope to to make a beautiful blend so I can have a beautiful and huge impact on on people's lives. And I highly recommend their book. It's really amazing. And Emily, if you're listening, thank you so much. Uh, You really changed my life. Thank you for empowering me, for empowering so many people. And of course, (laughs) Bootyverse. Thank you, Vanessa. Thank you, Joel. Thank you, everyone. You inspire me every day to be the best version, the whole version of me, the most spontaneous and more authentic version of me. And looking forward to continuing um, this journey with all of you. Thank you for being there. Thank you for listening and have an amazing day.
0: Next up, Risa. She answers the question, when did she realize she was a multipotentialite?" Well, it has to do with ice cream, and you don't want to
4: miss it. When did I realize it? I think when my mom asked me which ice cream flavor I wanted at Baskin Robbins. In my mind, I'm thinking, there's 31, and you want me to choose just one? Since that day, I knew I'd never be able to choose just one. Even if I did, I'd have to come back and try all the other flavors. Skip a few years later, and I was tasked to work on an essay about empathy and being in other people's shoes. This was in Japanese for my Japanese school on Saturdays. Everyone else wrote from human perspectives, parents, friends, families. But I wrote from our blackboards perspective, the one at the front of the class. I described what it saw, how strange it was to see seating patterns, how some people fell asleep during class while some excelled, how it hated it when the teacher made scratchy noises using her nails. Fast forward a couple of years, and I chose to apply for the Applied Intercultural Communication major, but filled my electives with all sorts of interests, ranging from self-defense, bowling, dreaming analysis, ethics from the Holocaust, dining etiquette, anthropology, sign language, sex evolution, public relations, digital media, the list goes on. I want to read a message straight from the book, The Missing Element by Deborah Silverman. It's straight from the prologue page. Wonderfully flawed, perfectly nutty, beautiful, broken-hearted, powerful you. Would you like to impact the planet and be a part of a positive change? Would you like to feel more at peace with yourself and be a happier human being? Here's the good news. Global change begins at home. Yes, recycling and saving water is very important. But your big job is to open your eyes to who you truly are, warts and all, and to make peace with that clunky, wonderful person inside of you. If you can do this, then all the negativity, fear, and shame that block your authentic expression will begin to lift you and become a more powerful, effective human being on this planet. That's how we begin to change the world. We heal one person at a time, and we start with ourselves. I'll end with this. It starts with accepting our multi-potential selves. I can't wait to see how we embrace and run with it. P.S. I've been brave since life was too good not to enjoy two flavors of ice cream. I thank little me for sticking up to her strong conviction and power to enjoy the multiple and not just one.
0: Thomas is next. He takes us on a jellyfish journey, complete with facts, music, musings, and ocean waves.
5: What are my thoughts on jellyfish? I love this question because I encounter jellyfish fairly frequently. I go to the beach to fish for halibut at least once a week during the season, which is from April through September. I wear waders. The water is always cold here and I wade in about knee deep and it is there that I encounter them. They're anywhere from an inch to five inches long. They all have delicate trailing stingers. I always try to get a picture with my phone. Which is hard because the water is always moving. It's hard to get them in focus. I end up just snapping a succession of pics hoping that at least one of them will turn out. I usually get one that I post on Instagram. That's what Instagram is for, right? Jellyfish pics. I see them in the water, they're always getting tossed and turned around. I don't know if they care. They look so helpless. But of course, they are masterful predators of plankton, so I suppose the tossing and turning is by design. I like jellyfish. I mean, I don't like getting stung by them. That happened once in... Well, I don't remember exactly where it was, but it was in a tropical place. A place where I didn't need waiters to keep me warm. Anyway, those stings are electric. I don't want to feel that again. But I like their beautiful design. The round hood. The flower-petal-shaped stomach. The arms and tentacles that flow like hair. Their transparency. Actually... I like most things jelly. Jello gelatin, jelly belly jelly beans, orange jelly coated in chocolate, boba tapioca jelly. I'm getting hungry. I don't think I would ever eat a jellyfish though. I've been wondering what does a jellyfish sound like? I mean, I don't think they make sounds. I googled this question and I found a Gizmodo article that says that they sound like a groaning air conditioner. This is when they're rising from the deep at twilight to feed on plankton that's at the surface. I'm not very enthusiastic about that sort of sound. I'm gonna use my imagination and a bit of artistic license to come up with something else. Let's start with a moon jelly. Let's bring in a few of their friends. Here are some smaller jellies, they have a quicker pulse. One of my favorites is an upside down jelly, from Palau I think. At the Monterey Bay Aquarium, there's a tank where they sit on a bed of smooth glass pebbles. The Monterey Bay Aquarium has many wonderful jellyfish in their collection. I could spend hours watching them pulsate and tumble in their tanks in silence. It's a joyful experience. And it's that experience that I'm reminded of whenever I see a jellyfish out in the water at the beach. I want to give a shout-out to Mina Marie at earth She created a way to represent the famous bubble sort algorithm as music using Sonic Pi. And that's what you heard at the beginning of this recording and right now. If you want to learn more, just Google Earth to Abigail bubble sort. Mina has written a really great article explaining what she did. Thanks for listening.
0: All right, here's my contribution, folks. Last but hopefully not least, I take on the topic of jellyfish. Not really answering a question, but exploring facts about jellyfish and what it would be like to be one. I hope you enjoy. Hey kids, here are some fun facts about jellyfish. Some jellyfish can glow in the dark. Jellyfish don't have brains. Ah. Some jellyfish are immortal. If I could be a jellyfish, I'd float around the sea. I'd eat my phytoplankton and hope someone doesn't eat me. I'd crunch my copepods as I ebb and flow and bob. I'd flash my bright colors when with others I'm at odds. I wouldn't have to think. I wouldn't have to care. I'd glow in the deep of the sea. I'd never worry about death. I'd never worry about life. I'd just float and eat and bob and sting and swim and glow and eat and bob. Kids, here are some more fun facts about jellyfish. Despite having venomous defenses, jellyfish are not without predators. Tunas, sharks, swordfish, sea turtles, and even some salmon species prey upon jellyfish. A hundred and fifty million people are stung by jellyfish each year jellyfish stings can be deadly. (laughs) I floated along, minding my own business a jellyfish alone in the sea. I came upon a human who looked down into the water at me. As the human moved, it startled me. I got scared, didn't know what to do. I did the only thing I could think of, pressed my tentacle into this human's water shoe. The foot thrashed in the water, the foot shook and kicked. The only thing I knew to do was to get out of there quick. I'll never know if the human was okay. But I honestly don't really care. These humans get too close to my habitat. If they scare me, it's only fair. Thank you so much for listening to this bonus Multipod episode, Putty Comps Volume 6, Episode 2. We at the Multipod are so grateful you are listening. Make sure to listen to our other awesome conversations with multipotentialites from around the world. And make sure to check out puttylike.com and the Puttyverse. Cheers.